0: Quiet your mind. Ever since the earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But three uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of mantis.
1: Welcome to Dawn oh. of Mantis, a variety podcast. You can find us online, www.dawnofmantis.com. We're on
0: Twitter. Mm-hmm. We're on Instagram.
1: We have t-shirts. Yep. Go to Twitter. You can
0: find our link if you want to order a t-shirt. The graphic's amazing. Put in your address, buy it, and it will be shipped to you. To you. So, on with the show. How's everyone tonight? Good. I'm well, too. How about you? So, yeah, tonight we are going to be talking about a little holiday. I don't know if it's really a special holiday to most folks. It's not. Is it really even a holiday? I don't think so. Right, technically. But y'all know what it is. It's April Fool's Day. Yep. And that is the day on which this podcast is dropping. We're not recording it on that day, but it will be dropping on that day. Breaking the fourth wall. Breaking the fourth wall. But I also want to say, speaking of that, in the spirit of April Fool's, we are going to be talking about April Fools' today. Um, I'm going to start off with the history of April Fools', and then we're going to, you know, end the episode with uh, some some of the more outlandish and crazy pranks that have been pulled in the name of April Fools'. But embedded in this episode, all throughout it, actually, is an April Fools' prank in itself. Okay. And so, what I want people to try to figure out is. What did we do? What prank did we pull for April Fool's? And we will reveal that prank next week. So how does that sound? That sounds fantastic. Fun little game. So
2: yeah. I'm excited to know myself.
0: Yes. And so, and I can tell you this from the beginning of the episode to the outro is the joke. Okay. So everyone's heard of April Fool's Day and those of you listening have more than likely either been the butt of an April Fool's prank or pulled one of your own or both In fact, some people out there have gone to enormous measures to pull absolutely epic pranks on April Fool's Day, but we'll get to that later. Like I said, first, we will cover the history of this, maybe I'll say, unofficial holiday. When and where did this prankster's holiday begin? Uh, Well, the best answer is no one knows. Not for sure. And as disappointing as that may be, there are several possible origins And we're going to talk about those as well as get into some of the more clever and bombastic pranks that have been pulled over the years. So, yeah. You ready to get into this? Yeah. Let's go. One of the earliest possible origins of April Fool's Day goes back to uh, people that has influenced most of our holidays in some way or another, the Romans. Man, a lot of things go back to them. Yeah. They came up in the Christmas, (laughs) uh, in the Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. One of their holidays celebrating the spring equinox and honoring Cybele, the mother of the gods, was Hilaria. The word comes from the Latin hilaris, meaning joyful, and the festival began on the day following the equinox, the first day of the year with more daylight than darkness. The ancient peoples, for good reason, always welcomed the passing of the cold, dark winters and celebrated the arrival of warm and sunny spring. Virtually every ancient culture celebrates the spring equinox, According to the Greek official and historian Herodian, on the final day of the feast, people were allowed to, quote, give life to any form of joke or game. And many people would even dress in disguises to mock and trick each other. This possibly laid the foundation for what we recognize today as April Fool's Day. Okay. Another possible origin has to do with New Year's Day and ancient people's tendency to not agree on what exactly uh, that day is. While most of the world, throughout most of history, recognized January 1st as New Year's Day, many different cultures played fast and loose with New Year's throughout the centuries. The Egyptians placed New Year's on August 29th. The Hindu New Year is in April 1st, and many Romans aligned the first day of the year with the 23rd of September, which is the birth of Augustus, which was then later changed to September 1st by the Byzantine year. Confusing, I know, but... By the way, the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church still recognizes that date as the first day of the calendar year. When the Julian calendar was adopted in A.D. 988 by Vladimir I of Kiev, New Year's Day was on March 1st. And then from 1155 to 1751, the English placed the first day of the year at March 25th. Okay. So it's been all over the place. In 1582, Pope Gregory VIII modified the Julian calendar, which had been around since about 45 B.C., to make each year shorten from 365.25 days to 365.2425 days. Wow. This was to correct a minor flaw in the Julian calendar, which was based uh, more off the solar year. This new version became known as the Gregorian calendar, because, you know, Pope Gregory and slowly was adopted by most of the world over the following centuries. So, why does all this discussion about New Year's, what does it have anything to do with April Fool's? Well, even after the establishment of the Gregorian calendar, people continued to place the first day of the year in all kinds of random places. But many point to the origin of April Fool's Day occurring in the mid-16th century from those crazy, baguette-eating, mime-loving folks who gave us the kiss, the fries, and the toast. i Am not talking about the French? Okay. And just pissed off a lot of people, probably. But. Well, they fart in your general direction. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they gave us a lot of positive things like the kiss and the fries and the toast. I enjoy all those things. Until then, many French viewed April 1st as the first day of the year, but when the Gregorian calendar and its New Year's Day of January 1st became more accepted, those who didn't realize the change or refused to acknowledge the change became the butt of jokes and hoaxes, and they were called April fools. Oh. These pranks included placing paper fish on their backs and calling them Poisson d'Avril, which means April fish in French. I guess you had to be there. (laughs) I know, right? Ooh, April fish There's a reason for that Okay, I'll explain it uh, In 16th century France This was a major burn It compared you to a young Easily caught fish Meaning that you were gullible Huh Okay April fish <laughs> <laughs> Oh no he didn't We should do an episode One of these days About like just different insults Throughout different nice. like, Time periods There you go And cultures and whatnot. All right. Well, speaking of April Fool's Day, Sam and Ivan. Yeah. Yeah. April Fool's Day really caught on in Europe. Speaking of Europe, oh my God, throughout the 1700s, especially in Scotland. Here, it became a two-day event, the first being known as hunting the gawk. (laughs) G-O-W-K.
2: Stay away from my gawk.
0: (laughs) A gawk is a- Unless you're a beautiful woman. (laughs) I heard they love the gawk. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) A gawk was slang for a cuckoo bird. Oh, okay. Which is the symbol of a fool, right? Mm -hmm. On this day, people were sent on phony errands, for instance, being sent to the market for a food that didn't exist or wasn't in season uh, or sent to a place that didn't exist.
2: Is it like uh, snipe hunting? Sort of like that. Do you remember that? I mean, I think it's got to be more of a thing just from the South. So if you're from the South, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not from the South, somebody will be like, hey, you want to go snipe hunting tonight? And (laughs) basically they just take you out in the middle of the woods and leave you there. Yep. And you're looking for something that doesn't exist, right?
0: Yeah. Okay. A snipe, yeah, yep. like
2: it's a bird, right? It's right. a type of bird or, yeah. They don't ever explain to you what a snipe is. It, you, you, is it a bird? Is it like a squirrel or a chipmunk type creature? Or like, you know, <laughs> is it a woodland, a woodland creature of sorts? Mm-hmm.
0: But the joke's on you. From what I always knew, a snipe was a little a little bit left over of a cigarette that you had left to smoke. I'm going to leave that snipe right there. I'll come back and get oh, that. okay. Yeah. But yeah, and also another prank that's sort of like that that I've seen every friend that I've known and uncle or whatever do to their wife or girlfriend is, you know, they pull up to the parts store and send them inside for blinker fluid. Right. Or for spark plugs for a diesel or something. (laughs) Then the girl comes back out like, they didn't even have it or whatever. Yeah. So that's (laughs) kind of similar to that. So April Fool's Day eventually grew to be celebrated in many places all around the globe and each country seems to put their own spin on it. In Ireland, the custom is to write a quote, important letter and uh, give that to a person and when they open it, It says, send a fool further. That letter is then given to someone else and so on and so forth. So maybe it's funnier over there.
1: Hmm.
0: In England, the holiday has evolved to just half the day, meaning all jokes must cease at midday. Anyone pranking after that time will themselves be April fools. Oh, okay. The Polish, who are very hardcore about April Fool's, also observe this midday really are right? <laughs> They also observe this midday rule. Before noon, virtually all bets are off. Barely a word can be trusted, and many Poles even avoid going out of the house or scheduling important appointments on that holiday. But as soon as noon has passed, it's all safe again. Okay. It's even considered downright rude and uncouth to prank after that time. So cut off at noon. One country that takes April Fool's very seriously is Ukraine, especially the city of Odessa. The entire day, known as Humarina, is celebrated with festivals, concerts, street fairs, and a large parade through the center of the city. Like, it's a huge deal in Ukraine. Townsfolk even dress in silly costumes and put funny clothes on uh, several monuments depicting historical figures in the city. Pranks done on this day are usually revealed or celebrated by the pranker yelling... April the 1st, I trust nobody. <laughs> Oddly enough, Spain has its own pranking holiday. I almost said spanking holiday. <laughs> Spain has its own spanking holiday. That's the one I'm all about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be walking through the streets in booty shorts. Hope no one spanks me. Cat and nine tails. <laughs> I'm just going to leave this wooden paddle right here by me. Would be awful if someone... All right, I got to stop that. Anyway, Spain has its own pranking holiday, but not on the 1st of April. Theirs is December 28th, which is actually a Christian holy day known as the Day of the Innocents, but has evolved to include jokes and pranks. Don't know how that happened. Do you think holiday originated from holy day? I'm gonna say yes.
2: Like just hearing you say that, I was like, I just popped in my in my head.
0: Like Christmas came from Christ's mass. Yeah, I be, I think you're right. So did holiday come from holy day? I bet it did.
2: Huh? Okay. I bet it
0: did. I'm gonna say it did. Sure, it did. I'll stake my reputation on it. <laughs> High stakes. The preferred phrase in this case to reveal the joke is uh, quote: "You innocent little dove that let yourself be fooled." In Colombia, the phrase is, let it go, it's Innocence Day. And Hmm. in Argentina, it's simply, innocent! So I guess someone would, whatever the prank was, hand you some binoculars that had black ink on the eye pieces. And then you pull them down and they show you a mirror and they go, let it go, it's Innocence Day! Or whatever. Huh. There's something else that is done in several English-speaking countries like Australia, Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa, and Britain that I had to include. Even though the custom is observed not only on April 1st, but the first of every month. So that'd be exhausting. Twelve times a year. When one encounters another, they may pinch or poke them and say, A pinch and a punch for the first of the month. The victim then slugs the person back and says... A flick and a kick for being so quick. Oh, wow. And finally, the other person can respond with... A punch in the eye for being so sly. And so on and so forth until they just beat the shit out of each other. Right. <laughs> 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 a kick in the ass for being so crass. I don't know. A sock in the dick for being a prick. <laughs> oh, how about you? And then That's bam. a good one. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> uh, so now that we've given you a very brief history of the holiday... Let's cover some of the more famous, or should I say infamous, pranks pulled in the name of April Fool's. April Fool's has grown to include many radio stations, newspapers, and television networks who all post false stories on that day to get a rise out of their audience. One of the most notorious of these incidents occurred in the UK on April Fool's Day 1957 and has since become known as the Spaghetti Tree Hoax. Hmm. Okay. Okay. The perpetrator in this case was the BBC via their current affairs program titled Panorama. And by the way, the BBC, we're going to do a lot more uh, cover, uh, several more of their, uh, their pranks. They were really into April Fool's for some reason. The idea came from the show's editor, Michael Peacock. That's a oh. British, British name. Uh, anyway, Michael Peacock, who thought it would be a great hoax to air a story about a family in Switzerland who had their very own spaghetti tree. A fake family was put together Along with a tree covered in limp Cooked spaghetti And an entire story of how that particular year Yielded a bumper crop Due to the disappearance of the spaghetti weevil Okay <laughs> Huh <laughs> They even had so-called experts on discussing uh, How they bred different tree strains It's hard to get out Different tree strains To get the perfect length noodle <laughs> Any jokes? <laughs>
2: I'll hold my tongue. I've been been trying to get the perfect Link
0: Noodle all my life. (laughs) Well, they figured it out. (laughs) The story was given even more credibility because it was narrated by the well-known and well-respected broadcaster Richard Dimbleby. That's another British name. Around 8 million people watched the episode that day, and afterward, the station was inundated with calls from people wanting to know how to grow their own spaghetti trees. The answer they were given was... Quote, place a sprig of uncooked spaghetti in a tin of tomato sauce and hope for the best. In defense of the British people, spaghetti was a very rare thing in the UK at that time. And most people had no idea what it was made of. Hmm. So, but it did, it did fool several people. The BBC was added again on April Fool's Day, 1989, this time on their sports show Grandstand. During a commentary in which host Des Lynham was bragging on the professionalism of his staff, several of those very staff members got into a literal fight directly behind him. It was only after the show aired uh, that it was revealed that it was all just a hoax. Mm. Yeah. I know he's just talking about. He's just talking about, well, they get they get on and look, they're fighting in the background. That <laughs> <laughs> was a hoax. Okay. Oh, bugger me, Jolies, off. As I was looking around at April Fool's Day gags, I actually found that the BBC has pulled quite a few, like I said earlier. Eight years later, they ran a story claiming to have added, quote, smell-o-vision to their broadcasts. Adding a complicated description of how they were able to transmit certain odors along the airwaves from their television towers.
2: How many home viewers you think were getting close to their TVs trying
0: to smell like and <laughs> actually believed that? Well, they got hundreds of calls uh, from people the next day re- reporting that th- that it worked. But they could Uh smell. So that's like the old trick of the brain, I guess. Right? The sure, uh, yeah. There was a fish and chips commercial, and I could smell the fish. Like a placebo (laughs) type thing. I think so. Like the yeah. Is that what it would be? Would that be like yeah? When your when your brain is tricked by suggestion into believing, right? I think so.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Weird. Yeah. Another infamous prank was pulled April first of nineteen eighty. This time here in America by TV station WNAC in Boston. At the end of their 6 o'clock evening news program, they ran a fake bulletin warning that the Great Blue Hill in nearby Milton was erupting. And they even showed footage of a volcano blasting lava into the sky. Okay, so the Great Blue Hill is a 635-foot tall hill that is most assuredly not volcanic. Never- now, that doesn't seem that tall. Yeah, 635? Yeah. Yeah. That's not even, yeah, it's a hill. Right. (laughs) It's not even tall enough to be a mountain. Right. Which I don't know what that threshold is. I know in Poto, Oklahoma, Poto, Oklahoma has the world's tallest hill, and that's because it's literally like six inches shy of what it requires to be a mountain, whatever that number is. But I think, yeah, there's like a sign saying home of the world's or maybe America's tallest hill or whatnot. I, right in the shadow of that big hill is Carl Albert State College, where I went to school for a little bit.
2: 1,999 feet. Is the threshold mm-hmm. for? Okay. Cavanaugh
0: Hill. Is that? Oh, that's the one in Poto? That's the one in Poto, yeah. Okay. And it is, dude, you can, you can see that thing from miles and, miles and miles and miles and miles and miles away before you get to town. It's, yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty tall. But it is still a hill. Because 2,000 feet, right, must be the... Yeah, it must be. Okay. So, yeah, we're looking at Blue Hill. The Great Blue Hill is like a third of what it requires to actually be a mountain. Nevertheless, despite all that, hundreds of Milton's citizens, after seeing this, they panicked and fled their homes, and the whole thing caused quite a stir. In fact, the 6 o'clock news executive producer, ironically named Homer Silly, was fired over the incident. Dope! Crazy, huh? Could invoke a regional panic. Mm Mm-hmm. Much like the uh, War of the Worlds incident there. Yeah. What do you think about that, Ivan? I can't believe so many people believed it. Well, f*** me. Really? That's crazy. In 1969, the Netherlands NTS Public Broadcast announced that the following day, inspectors would, with new remote scanning technology capable of detecting whether or not someone had paid their radio-slash-TV tax would be driving up and down the streets of every city and town. So first off, let's get that out of the way. Apparently in the Netherlands in the 60s, you had to pay a radio-and-TV tax. Hmm, that's interesting. According to this thing. And they falsely reported that they had this new technology where they could just, like, drive, you know, with the little meter uh, through your neighborhood, and they could detect every television set. That hadn't had its taxes paid.
2: Interesting.
0: They ended by saying the only way to beat the scanners was to wrap your TV or radio in tinfoil. Of course it is. They said you could beat it by and as the British would say, aluminium. Yes. Foil. The next day, most supermarkets in the broadcast area were sold out of foil. And there was a huge surge in back taxes being paid. Oh my gosh. What if it was all a ruse by like a
2: tinfoil company? Wouldn't that be clever? That's true. If you know, if you would have like invested in tinfoil right before that, bought some stock in aluminium.
0: What's that? No, is that insider trading? Is that what they? What is that? There's something. I think so. That's yeah, Like if
2: you know, if you know to invest before yeah. something happens, I think that's what that is. Yeah, it's like you get a tip. Is that what it would be? I think so. Yeah, in, the insider trading. Yeah, theme? I'm pretty
0: sure. Like, if, hey, if I got a wrong... hot tip for you. Like, yeah, that's what she said. But <laughs> sorry, Adam. <laughs> That's, Actually, that's what he said. That's what he said. That's correct. But she wouldn't have a tip. Um, <laughs> I hope not. The next prank was in print. And it occurred back in April 1st, 1905. In print? In print. So, this like was a in the newspaper or something? Yes, yes. A German newspaper called the Berliner T A G E B L A T T. Tagablat. So, I wonder if it, it's like tablet. For some reason, I think it's like Tageblatt. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The Berliner Tageblatt okay. reported that thieves had dug a tunnel underneath the U.S. Federal Treasury in Washington D.C. and stolen America's stockpile of silver and gold. And they further claim that over three years, robbers had made away with over two hundred and sixty-eight million. So I guess this was a long oh gosh. process. No kidding. Maybe they were just sneaking in and carrying out like ten bucks at a time. Was Andy Dufresne going in one at a time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is he there
2: tunneling was... in, grabbing one gold brick and tunneling back out the whole time.
0: What was the name of the girl on the poster? Rita Hayworth. Oh. Remember gosh, dang it, yes. Rita Hayworth. Dad gummit, I've seen that movie so many times. Rita Hayworth. Was it Rita Hayworth? It was Rita Hayworth.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Yes. But then they updated it like over the years, remember? Marilyn Monroe and Raquel Welch. Raquel Welch is the one in the, the little like leather bikini thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it took him like what, 15, 20 years? 20 years. 20 years. Oh, Andy did it in less than 20. That's what it was. Yeah. You're right. So, yeah, they made away with $268 million and the U.S. authorities were trying to hunt down the thieves while publicly covering up the fact that the country had been robbed. The story spread quickly enough through European newspapers before people realized that it was an April Fool's Day prank by Louis Viric, a New York correspondent of the Berliner Tageblatt, blah, 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 who published a joke article under a fake name. Hmm. So the following is care of the BBC. Again. In 1976, renowned astronomer Patrick Moore appeared on BBC Radio 2 and announced that at 9.47 a.m., we would feel what he called the Jovian-Plutonian gravitational effect. He said that at that exact moment, the planets would align and gravity on Earth would get a tiny bit weaker. So if you jumped in the air at exactly the right moment, you would feel like you were almost floating. Hmm. Many people claimed it worked again. Bullshit. Uh, Yes, it's no secret, actually, that at precisely 9.47 a.m. on April Fool's Day, the Jovian plutonium gravitational effect will take effect. Therefore, if you jump into the air, you will feel like you are floating ever so slightly. Bullshit. Thus (laughs) saith Patrick Moore, BBC Radio 2. Thank you for listening. The time is 7.10 p.m. Ding! In the early 1700s, satirist Jonathan Swift, this is a funny one, dude, played such an elaborate prank that it ended a man's career. Oh, no. That man was John Partridge, a famous astrologer and swindler who sold bogus predictions to the public via almanacs. Hmm. After Partridge predicted in his 1708 almanac that a fever would sweep London in early April, Jonathan Swift... Published an almanac under a fake name, predicting that on March 29th at 11 p.m., Partridge would die of a raging fever. The public lapped it up, but Partridge was furious. So he published a rebuttal to Swift's almanac, calling its author a fraud. Uh, not good. This is how the people argued back then. They they published papers and articles to each other. So one argument took like weeks. Right.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs>
0: Like, I wonder what his rebuttal's going to be. Yeah, five days later. Yeah. How about you? (laughs) You scallywag. Here's my rebuttal. Turn to page five. Continued on page five. (laughs) Okay, then on the night of March 29th, Swift published an elegy under an alias announcing that Partridge had died. This guy was like the first troll. Yeah. But not before making a deathbed confession that he was a fraud. Yeah, so Jonathan Swift publishes a thing saying that Partridge had died, but on his deathbed confessed all his almanacs were fraudulent. <sighs> Th- yeah. Swift finished by calling the now supposedly dead astrologer a, quote, cobbler, starmonger, and quack. Huh. Word of Partridge's death spread over the next couple of days. And when Partridge was seen alive in public on April 1st, people were shocked. I would imagine. Now, even more furious, Partridge published a pamphlet declaring he was alive. But Swift immediately published another pamphlet insisting Partridge was dead and that Partridge's pamphlet was written by someone impersonating the dead astrologer. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The whole escapade helped to discredit Partridge, who eventually just stopped publishing altogether. Mm. Wow. (laughs) What an a hole. I know. I just love it that he is dead. I am not dead. Yes, he is. And that was someone impersonating him, saying he was dead. I'm feeling better. (laughs) I'm still alive, but the wound is beginning to smell like almonds, which is not good. I loved Will Ferrell's character in in, uh, Austin Powers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot about him. My leg is very badly broken. I'm going to try to get up. (laughs) (laughs) He wore, like, the the Shriners fez or whatever Yes, yeah Yeah. Yeah. That's funny Okay, so let's go back to 1980 again Okay And the BBC They announced that Big Ben, London's historic clock Mm -hmm. tower Was going to undergo a facelift to become digital (laughs) Oh (laughs) To keep up with the times Enraged callers flooded the station with complaints How dare you That'd be interesting. Yeah. Imagine. It'd, be, it'd be like a, yeah, just a, it looked look
2: like a digital wristwatch up there. It
0: says Casio under yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and every hour on the hour, it's like beep, beep. Yes. Beep. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> I like how, Ivan, Ivan, do you remember when we were talking about a digital watch and you bought a, a Casio digital watch? You remember that? Yeah, my Casio calculator. It's amazing. In Germany in 2009, the BMW Corporation ran an ad promoting its newly developed, quote, magnetic tow technology. They claimed that once up to speed, cars equipped with MTT could be then shut off and the vehicle would maintain that speed indefinitely by being pulled via magnetic forces.
2: Oh, I thought thought it was like they would make you think that it had a magnet on the front bumper and so once you got up to speed and were close enough behind the car
0: in front of you, it would just follow in tow of that one see when i first read that magnetic toe technology i my, my my brain went somewhere even different than that i thought that they would put just like a powerful magnet on the tongue of a trailer well yeah and you would just back up to the trailer and it'd go clunk it that's, would just stick. that's
2: what crossed my mind when you first said it but then once you once you started reading it right. i was like oh maybe it's to keep you up to speed just to follow the car in front of you right yeah so yeah Either way, though. Either
0: way. Uh, yes, this also... People will believe anything. Oh, yeah. Literally anything. Yeah. You don't even need the internet. No, you don't. No, you television, radio, print, mm-hmm. pamphlets. <laughs> In, this is a great one. In 1996, Taco Bell announced they had purchased the famous U.S. Liberty Bell, and they were going to be renaming it the Taco Liberty Bell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They also said they'd be relocating it from Philadelphia to its headquarters in California. The company claimed publicity from the hoax increased their sales by $1 million in a 24-hour period. Wow. Yeah. How? Yeah, that's a lot. I don't know. Why would that? Yeah. They're buying the Liberty Bell. Let's go get it. <laughs> I know. El Grande. I don't know. Interesting. I didn't think about that when I, when I wrote the notes. But yeah, why would that make you want to go out and get a beef and bean burrito? Freedom. Just because it's patriotic now? Maybe. Hell yeah, yeah America! Freedom!
2: <laughs> I mean, I'd just go to Taco Bell anyway. Right, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised they weren't inundated with calls of just, like, butt-hurt, overly patriotic people. Like You can't have our Liberty Bell. Exactly. Taco Liberty Bell, my ass. Yeah. My red, white, and blue ass. Over my dead body. And also, all Chihuahuas are now on kill list. Kill all chihuahuas. (laughs) One of the earliest April Fool's Day hoaxes on record was in London in 1698. Okay. Advertisements, or as they would have said at the time, advertisements. Oh, yeah. Were ran for the first annual ceremony of the washing of the lions at the Tower of London. Thousands of people showed up, but of course there was no such ceremony. Or in London they would say ceremony. Yeah, because cats don't like to get... Baths No they don't And lions are just big ass cats (laughs) (laughs) Yeah so I can see That can kill you If you're trying to give them a bath (laughs) With one swipe
2: Yes
0: (laughs) The prank was so successful That people kept pulling it Year after year Targeting mostly out of towners Who were not in on it Already Right By the mid-1800s, people were running even more ads and even printing up fake tickets. Some years, people turned up by the thousands.
2: I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, if it's all in the same place, them city folk have to just be (laughs) stupid
0: because they're like, Oh,
2: gosh! Dang it! They got us again. Yeah, I thought this was going to be the year it actually happened.
0: <laughs> I like, I like how they're they're rednecks yes. in London. <laughs>
2: yes, I mean that's only that's the only thing that makes sense.
0: I well, it's still a lot of uh, mostly out of towners that eventually fell for it. I guess, but are there that many out of towners right. in that's, London? All exactly, the
2: time? that's what I'm thinking. We're only going to run it and run the ad in this location next year. We're going to run it over here in this maybe. Location. London's a
1: big place, yeah. So.
0: Well, I've read that on April first they're going to be washing lions under the Tower of London. Yeah. By Jove, washing lions! What well, does, I, does I have to see. One of my personal favorite April Fools' pranks occurred in 1992, and was pulled off by none other than stuffy old NPR. Even NPR got. Well, they're not really British. Even NPR um, got in on the April Fools' Day jokes. They ran a news segment featuring an interview with the then 79-year-old former president Richard Nixon, who shocked listeners when he announced that he would be running for president again in that year's election. Shocking.
1: His slogan was, quote, I
0: never did anything wrong and I won't do it again. <laughs> but the man speaking was a Nixon impersonator and the news segment that aired the announcement wasn't real. Thousands of people not only fell for it, but were outraged, and the station was flooded with angry calls. Hmm. After this station break, we will have author of Does It Hurt When I Poke It? <laughs> Switching out of NPR voice. In 2014, Google decided to get in on April Fool's Day. Modern day. Modern day. Yeah, Google. You know what they did? They changed the search results that people could get. Oh, wait, they do that all the time anyway. Right. This was something different. On April 1st, published a, uh, they published a Pokemon game, you'll like this, Sam, in which players, and you'll like it too, Ivan. Oh, thanks for thinking of me. In which players could use Google Maps to look for and catch Pikachus and Bulbasars, who would pop up on the map screen for gamers to grab. Huh. The prize for the biggest collection, a job at Google as Pokemon Master. It works so well. And so many people fell for it and loved it that software engineers at Niantic Labs took the prank and turned it into Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go. That's how Pokemon Go came out. Okay. Be. Uh, that makes sense. The then. result of an April 1st prank. I was about prank. to say, that sounds like Pokemon Go.
2: It's awesome. Pretty crazy, huh?
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. National Geographic Magazine, even them, they pulled a rather cute prank on April 1st. Of 2016, via their Twitter account, they announced that they would no longer be publishing photos of naked animals. Why not? (laughs) Their statement read, quote, The media group says that it will no longer degrade animals by showing photos of them without clothes. And this was accompanied by uh, several photos of cute animals dressed in little suits. (laughs) Aww. I bet that was cute. (laughs) how many kids not these days cuz kids have the world at their fingertips in these right. in these phones but back in our day how many kids was introduced to the naked female form via national geographic right. magazines right that's what, yeah i was thought you were going there national geographic mm-hmm. that was i believe the first time that i saw it was in national geographics i thought you were even just talking about naked animal forms <laughs> <laughs> that too that, too. Many, many National Geographic's under... Uh, yes, yeah, some teenage uh, boys band. Ab-
2: aboriginal tribe ladies.
0: Yep. Yeah, that was National Geographic's April Fool's Day prank. So, let's move on to Sweden. Mmm. On April 1st, 1962, Sweden's SVT television network brought their technical expert... and I'm not even going to try to say that name. Just pretend you know. ...onto the news to inform the public that... Thanks to a new technology, viewers could convert their existing black and white TV sets to color. At the time, there was only one TV channel in Sweden and it broadcast in black and white. So this was a big deal. Yeah. Stenson was his last name. I wasn't going to try to say his first name. Stenson explained that all viewers had to do was pull a nylon stocking over their TV screen, and the mesh would cause the light to bend in such a way that it would appear as if the image were in color. Must have been a small TV. I know, right? <laughs> or big pantyhose. <laughs> uh, Not one of them big boxy ones. Or, or you just hope that your gal has some big old thighs. That's true. <laughs> big old thighs, baby. <laughs> we knew they'd come in handy. I guess the, the, the waist part yeah. could maybe go over. Yeah. You, yeah, right? I don't know. He proceeded to demonstrate the process. Thousands of people were taken in, like always. Many Swedes today still report remembering their fathers rushing through the house trying to find stockings to place over the TV set. Regular color broadcast finally did reach Sweden eight years later, ironically, on April 1st, 1970. Hmm. I wonder if eight years later when they said, like, hey, I was about to go in Irish. No. Uh, We have color TV sets. If they were like, I remember this eight years ago. Right. You can kiss my ass, you know. What do we got to put over it now? Spread butter on the screen? (laughs) (laughs) One man duped an entire town with his April Fool's Day hoax. This is another one. The residents of Sitka, Alaska, woke up to a disturbing sight on April 1st of 1974. Clouds of black smoke were rising from the crater of Mount Edgecombe, the long-dormant volcano neighboring them. Another volcano uh, prank. Concerned citizens rushed into the streets to gaze up at the volcano, terrified that it was about to erupt. Thankfully, they were not in danger. It was soon discovered that a local prankster named Porky Bicker had flown hundreds of old tires into the volcano's crater and then lit them on fire hmm. to fool everyone into thinking that it had erupted. <laughs> old Porky Bicker, that son of a bitch. <laughs> There's old Porky doing that.
2: See, he uh, he just stood up there laughing. but 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 That's good.
0: Our next prank happened in Australia. Hey Ken, good eye, Mike. And was perpetrated by a local adventurer and millionaire businessman named Dick Smith. No way. Dick Smith. From uh, Murder in the Mountains? Yes. Yeah. Different Dick. <laughs> okay. This was an Australian dick. <laughs> I've heard they're larger. I haven't heard that. I'm going to say that. Ken's probably like, that's true. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Of course. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> For quite some time, the bombastic Aussie had been claiming that he was going to tow an iceberg all the way from Antarctica hmm. to the land down under. Whoa. Yeah. He went on to say that he would then carve the iceberg into small ice cubes and sell them for 10 cents a piece. This is a good business plan. <laughs> he claimed the liquid from the pure Antarctic ice would improve the flavor of any drink if it, that it was added to. Most people didn't take him seriously. I wonder why. <laughs> Until April 1st, 1978, when old Dick piloted a boat into Sydney Harbor with what appeared to be a huge iceberg in tow. Thousands of people turned up, and the event was covered by several local radio stations. But as Dick made his way into the harbor... What year was this? 78. Was it like styrofoam or something? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's... Well, not styrofoam. Okay. As Dick made his way into the harbor, it started to rain. Uh Uh-huh. And his iceberg quickly dissolved, revealing the whole thing was a massive hoax. Uh, it was actually a large frame of wood, plastic sheets with foam and shaving cream. Oh, Whoa. okay. So maybe it was part of that was styrofoam. Yeah. And then shaving cream. That's a lot of damn shaving yeah, cream. Yeah, it is. My God. That trick probably cost him a few thousand dollars in Barbasol. do think so. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it smelled good, though. A little tricky dick. The following are care of the Museum of Hoaxes website. Again. Museum of hoaxes. Hold on a minute. What did he
2: expect to happen once he got closer?
0: (laughs) If it wouldn't have started started raining,
2: I mean, he said he was going to sell ice cubes. True. Yeah. What was the end game? Right, yeah. Like, Like, was he just going to have some, like, ice that he already had cubed (laughs) and act like he was going to take it off of
0: this iceberg? Already pre-bagged. Yeah. He bought it for a dollar a bag, but he's like, "Well, there's 500 cubes in there, so <laughs> what was it 10 cents a piece? What's that 50 bucks? That's a good profit margin." Something <sighs> like that? Yeah, I'm not good at math, but man, that's a huge profit. Yeah. Wonder if that was his business model.
2: He just kind of he keeps the faux iceberg out in the harbor far enough to where they can't really tell it's not real. Yeah.
0: But then the rain. That rain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in April 1985, the issue of Sports Illustrated revealed that the New York Mets had recruited a rookie pitcher named Sid Finch who could throw a baseball 168 miles per hour. <laughs> Golly! <laughs> 65 miles per hour faster than the previous record. Yeah. Wow. Surprisingly, Sid Finch had never played baseball before, but he had mastered the art of the pitch in a Tibetan monastery. This <laughs> That's what they do, throw pitches. (laughs) Mets fans couldn't believe their good luck, and accepting at face value the peculiarities of Sid Finch's past, uh, they flooded Sports Illustrated with requests for more information.
2: Sid Finch does not even sound like he would (laughs) be coming from a Tibetan monastery. Yeah. You're at the monastery. That's like Ace Ventura at a Tibetan monastery. Yes,
0: that crossed my mind. (laughs) I love it when he's got the slinky going. (laughs) Can you believe it? It's going to be some kind of record. (laughs) I love when the old man, this took you 80 years to achieve. That's okay. I don't need it. They're just trying to get him to go. Yes. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, so everyone wants to know who's this Sid Finch guy. Well, in reality, this amazing player only existed in the imagination of author George Plimpton, who had left a clue in the subheading of the article, quote, He's a pitcher, part yogi and part recluse, impressively liberated from our opulent lifestyle. Sid's deciding about yoga and his future in baseball. Okay. Listen to this. What I just read, the first letter of every one of those spells out, Happy April Fool's Day. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. A fib. So, Happy April Fool's Day dash A-H fib. So, I'll read it again. He's a pitcher, part yogi and part recluse, impressively liberated from our opulent lifestyle, Sid's deciding about yoga and his future in baseball. So, yeah, that's spelled out Happy April Fool's Day. Pretty cool, huh? That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, April Fool's Day, 1972. Newspapers around the world reported the sensational news that the dead body of the Loch Ness Monster had been found. A team of zoologists from Yorkshire's Flamingo Park Zoo had come across it while working at the loch. The researchers tried to take the Nessie corpse back to Yorkshire, but Scottish police promptly stopped them, citing an old law that made it illegal to remove, quote, unidentified creatures from Loch Ness. However, subsequent examination of the creature determined that it wasn't actually Nessie. Instead, it was a large bull elephant seal from the South Atlantic. But how had it gotten to Loch Ness? This was revealed the next day when the Flamingo Park's education officer, John Shields, confessed responsibly. The seal had died the week before at Dudley Zoo. He shaved off its whiskers, patted its cheeks with rocks, kept it frozen for a week before surreptitiously dumping it in the lock, intending to play an April Fool's prank on his colleagues. He admitted the joke had gotten someone out of hand when police came involved. <laughs> So he took a carcass of a seal, shaved it, stuffed rocks in its mouth, <laughs> froze it, and then hauled it to Loch Ness. <laughs> Golly. If people believed that was
2: actually the Loch Ness monster, that would be quite disappointing. Yeah. Seeing as that doesn't sound monster
0: at all. No. No. And from what pictures I've seen of Nessie that are yeah. supposedly Nessie. Looking like a brontosaur. Yes. <laughs> With With, fins. Yep. With its neck up out of the water. (laughs) So, 1950, April 1st, uh, Aftenposten, (laughs) Norway's largest newspaper, (laughs) announced on its front page that the government-owned wine monopoly had received a large shipment of wine in barrels, but it had run out of bottles. Oh, that's not good. To get rid of the extra wine, the stores were running a one-day bargain sale, offering wine at 75% off and tax-free. Wow. Yeah. The catch was that buyers had to bring their own containers to put the wine in. Buckets, pitchers, and the like were recommended, according to their article. When the Vinmonopolits opened at 10 a.m., Norwegian wine lovers rushed to line up, forming long queues that stretched around the block. According to legend... Numerous empty buckets were later seen lying in the streets Left there by people who had realized while standing in line That it was a hoax hmm. You would almost have a riot on your hands Yeah, you would think so Bunch of people wanting to get soused And then it's just not gonna happen Two years later, on April Fool's Day Two teenage boys walked into a London police station And handed over a folder that appeared to contain blueprints For an atomic device Uh-oh the boy- What do you think about that, Ivan? Yeah, sounds plausible The boys said they had found the folder lying on the pavement at a bus stop. (laughs) British authorities immediately went into high alert. Concern reached the highest levels of government, with members of the House of Commons informed of a possible loss of atomic secrets. Yeah. The media got wind of the situation as well, raising public alarm. But when uh, physicists finally got around to examining the documents, they couldn't make any sense of them and eventually concluded they were meaningless. The mystery was solved when a friend of the two boys, 15-year-old Victor Mera, confessed he had created the papers out of old Norwegian blueprints, uh, including a blueprint for a sausage machine (laughs) he had found in the office where he worked. As a prank, he had written, quote, a lot of gibberish on the papers and titled them, quote... Plan for Atomic Device CDZZ29679 Nuclear Physics Pattern 0778523 (sighs) Top Secret. Wow. That does look official. Yeah. Then he gave the folder to his friends, telling them that he'd found it lying in the street. Yeah. Yeah. So he almost caused like a national panic. So this kid (laughs) hands it off to these other two kids. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the two kids that turned it into the police really thought...
2: Yeah. So they actually weren't trying to pull the
0: prank. No, it was this other guy. Wow! It was this goddamn uh, Victor Mera, fifteen-year-old kid. <laughs> Pretty elaborate prank, fifteen-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the April 1995 issue of Discover magazine reported that the biologist Dr. April Pazo had found a new species in Antarctica: the hot-headed naked ice borer. <laughs> These fascinating creatures had bony plates on their heads that, fed by numerous blood vessels... <laughs> it is. No, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Could be ...could become burning hot, allowing the animals to bore through anything. That's right. No, it's through ice at high speeds. They used this ability to hunt penguins, melting the ice beneath the penguins and causing them to sink downwards into the resulting slush where the hotheads consumed them. <laughs> After much research, Dr. Pazo theorized that the hotheads might have been responsible for the mysterious disappearance of noted Antarctic explorer Philippe Poisson Mm -hmm. in 1837. Quote, To the ice borers, he would have looked like a penguin, the article said. Uh, Yeah, because a grown-ass, six-foot-tall, 205-pound man wearing boots is going to resemble a penguin. Yes. Discover received more mail in response to this article than they had ever received for any other article in their history. He must have walked with a waddle. (laughs) 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 So... April Fool's Day, 1998. Okay. Burger King published a full-page advertisement in USA Today announcing the introduction of a new item to their menu, the Left-Handed Whopper. Okay. Is that what you call it? I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 Sorry. (laughs) This was specially designed for the 32 million left-handed Americans. You're not left-handed, are you? No. You're normal?
2: Yes. I'm
0: just kidding. I'm just joking. The left-handed people. (laughs) Hey, another side bit that no one gives a shit about When my granddad was young (laughs) Go for it Back in that day, the left-handed people were looked at as like That was something wrong with you You were not supposed to be left-handed They would force you to write with your right hand So when my dad was, my granddad was in school The teacher, she said, or he had told me when I was writing with my left hand She would come up and whack me on that hand with a ruler and force him to write with his right hand. Wow. So what resulted was he couldn't... He ended up not being able to write that well with either hand. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, I have stuff that he's written on cards and stuff for me, and, and it was not that easy to read. And, wow. and it was with his right hand to that day because of years of, be, you know... Being forced to. Yeah. What a weird... Like, who started that? Who started that idea that writing with your left hand was some sort of malady? Like, that's so bizarre. Sacrifice. Yes. I think it's just because people are freaked out by anything slightly different. Yeah, especially back
2: in those days.
0: Yeah, because even today, like, I think it's throughout most of human history, for whatever reason, most people are Mm right-handed. But then those people that are left-handed, which are, you know, much less portion of the population, for some reason, they freaked everyone out. 12% of the population is left-handed. 12%, okay. That's that's actually more than I thought.
1: Of
2: the
0: world's population. The world's population. Wow. Yeah. According to the advertisement, the new Whopper included the same ingredients as the original Whopper, which was lettuce, tomato, hamburger, patty, etc. But all the condiments were rotated 180 degrees for the benefit of their left-handed
2: stupid.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. The uh, following day, Burger King issued a follow-up release revealing that although the left-handed Whopper was a hoax, thousands of customers had gone into the restaurants requesting the new sandwich. (laughs) Simultaneously, according to the press release, quote, many others requested their own right-handed version, Hmm. which wouldn't that be what the original one was? I don't know. Left-handed products of various kinds are actually an old joke for uh, April Fool's, but Burger King's announcement quickly became by far the most famous version of the joke. All right. I got a couple more. OK. April 1st, 2008. The BBC, they were at it again, those jolly fools. Mm -hmm. They announced that camera crews filming near the Antarctic for its natural history series Miracles of Evolution had captured footage of Adelaide, Adelaide penguins taking to the air. It even offered a few video clips of these flying penguins, which quickly became one of the most viewed videos on the Internet. Presenter Terry Jones, I know him, explained that instead of huddling together to endure the Antarctic winter, these penguins took to the air and flew thousands of miles to the rainforest of South America where they would spend the winter basking in the tropical sun. A follow-up video explained how the BBC created the special effects of flying penguins. So yeah, there were never any flying penguins, folks. Hmm. All right, last one of the night. Ivan, you hanging in there still, bud? Yeah, yeah, this is fun. All righty then. April 1st, 1971. The Texas House of Representatives unanimously passed a resolution honoring Albert DeSalvo, noting he had been officially recognized by the state of Massachusetts for his noted activities and unconventional techniques involving population control and applied psychology. Albert DeSalvo is a serial killer, hmm. for those of you who don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even, I knew that when I wrote it down, but it just occurred to me, maybe... we ever going to do anything on him? Sure. Okay. He was pretty prolific. The Texas politicians were embarrassed when it was later revealed to them that uh, Albert DeSalvo, better known as the Boston Strangler, okay, was a serial killer. He had confessed to killing 13 women. The resolution had been submitted by Representatives Tom Moore and Lane Denton, who said they did it to demonstrate that, quote, no one reads these bills. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. But someone did. Someone apparently read it, figured it out. So, yeah, that's it, man. That's uh, the history of April Fool's. That's a few cases. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, April Fool's Day pranks. And Ivan, did you enjoy that episode? Yeah, it's great. It's a good one. Okay, listen, everyone, every doggone one of you, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We're growing slow as molasses, but we're growing by golly. We're growing as slow as toenails. Caught up in the old sock, but we're growing. Yeah. Yes, we are. Sam, thanks again for letting us use the beautiful facilities here at the Redbeard Studios and gorgeous downtown Salem Springs. Uh, we appreciate it. Great.
2: Again, now I'm gonna have to move because some serial killer is gonna come after me that we've made fun of. Oh well, <laughs> their family or something.
0: Yeah, we need to look at all the serial killers and all the ki- oh, just all the people we've made fun of and uh, write down their release dates from prison, <laughs> <laughs> so we know. It's not a bad idea. Shit, January fifteenth of twenty thirty-five. We'd better leave town. Uh, anyway, <laughs> no, you know what? Most there's so many podcasts out that I'm like, man, these guys kill this. Would be like 75 people long,
2: you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're I mean, like
0: Steve Buscemi
2: uh, and <laughs> and Billy Madison. Yes.
0: Hopefully, we're so far down on the list they get caught before. Yeah. If they go alphabetically, we're D. So there's a few ahead of us. True. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? But anyway, and then so yeah. Next week, we're going to reveal the April Fool's Easter egg that was in this episode. And yeah. uh, in the meantime, if you want to throw your own guess at us, you can do that. You can do it via the IG. The IG, or you can call our hotline. What's that number, Ivan? 417, the number four, and the word mantis. Okay, so anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you all next week. Good night.
1: Let me tell you about some fellas I know, named Ivan, Sam, and Joe. They got themselves a little podcast, you know. And they talk about everything under the sun that they find interesting, spooky, or fun. And they sure ain't trying to impress no one. to too much time on your answers. Take a little listen to the dawn of Mantis. They talk about killers, monsters, and cults. French mates from hell, disappeared folks. Occasionally throw in a few dad jokes. They try to make every story extra nice by adding their own ginger spice. Not one time or two, but thrice. The remedy to too much time on you, hands is take a little listen to the dawn of man Now I'm sure these fellas will be around for quite a spell. Cause there sure ain't no shortage of stories to tell. This old world's as weird as hell But hell, even if nobody listens You know they'd maintain a fine disposition Cause shooting the breeze is kind of their mission Remedy to too much time on your is Take a little listen to the dawn of my Too much time on your answers Take a little listen to the dawn of many